Now, there are a number of people who are visiting this morning. Um, it's a normal, regular habit to preach through whole books of the Bible from start to finish. We're actually starting a series in James next week. Um, but in January, over the last few years, uh, we've, we've done some topical sermons, a series called Promises That Propel, where we look at um, some of the promises of God uh, that when believed and responded to help us to grow in our Christian maturity. Um, so last, what did we look at last week? I put you all to the test, showing how vague I've gone. Yes, we have a sympathetic high priest. That was one we did last week. It wasn't that I couldn't remember what, what I've spoken of. I just couldn't remember which one was specifically last week. Must be getting old. And sometimes, sometimes I, when I'm here, I actually do feel like one of the older people. Anyway, so today we're looking at the promise of Jesus. If the Son set you free, you are free indeed. So we're going to come before the Lord in prayer uh, that he might speak to us through his word that we might see and behold these wonderful promises. Heavenly Father, we are a people who desperately need you in every aspect of our life. There is not a single aspect of our life that we have the ability to achieve. There's no single aspect of our life that we can say that we have mastered. We believe wholeheartedly the words of our Saviour that apart from him we can do nothing. And so, Lord, as we uh, look upon these wonderful promises of your Son, that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed, Uh, that we might not only hear the invitation to freedom if we are yet to uh, place our trust in Jesus, or if we have placed our trust in Jesus, to be reminded anew of the wonderful things that you have set us free from. I ask that you would speak to us, uh, that you would minister to us by your spirit in our time together, uh, that your word would speak clearly to us and that we would respond with faithful obedience. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Freedom. Everyone wants it. Everyone. I haven't met a single person who's seen freedom. No, not interested. And also, everyone gets upset when they haven't got it. And you'll notice it's a repeated theme in some of the big blockbuster movies. Whether it's a people group going from a particular state to, to freedom, or an individual, or if you like a Star Wars, the freedom to the galaxy... Or if you love your wildlife, freeing a whale named Willie. (laughs) But some of those movies are some of the ones that, maybe not the Free Willy one, uh, that have a really deep impact on us. And I think, why is it that movies that present a story, particularly if it's based on a true story, that present a story from slavery or some form of restricted or, or hindrance to freedom that resonates with us? Is it just because we're compassionate? Well, that could be true of some. Not everyone's as compassionate as others. I've got my eldest daughter's extremely compassionate. There were many tears that flowed in Clifford, the big red dog. But I think the reason why stories about freedom resonate so deeply with us 
is that we have an innate deep longing for freedom. An innate God-given longing for freedom. And because it's so deeply important to us, it kind of resonates when we want the same for others. And so we'll happily stand up and fight for others. Certainly at the moment there's a lot of focus on COVID restrictions, a lot of focus on poor old Novak, Djokovic. But this also opened our eyes to the fact that because of where he stayed, there was some migrant attention uh, in the hotel in which he was staying. When people recognise that somebody is not free, when it is brought to their attention, something within us rises up and thinks something needs to be done. But let me tell you, if every single COVID restriction was dropped tomorrow, that would not make you free. You would soon think, oh, now I'm not free in this area. And then when you found freedom in that area, it would go on and on and on and on. And you'd say, I still haven't found freedom. Today, that endless pursuit for freedom can come to an end. Because there is such thing as true freedom. When the only one with all power and authority says, if I set you free, you are free indeed. This is true freedom. It is both a universal and an eternal need. And anything else that offers freedom or claims to offer freedom will only be temporary and partial and in the long term will show that it is not freedom. It does not set you free. So my prayer for all of us today is that we would leave here saying, I am free indeed. As we work through this topic this morning, primarily based on that passage that we've had read, we're going to ask the question of our national anthem, we are one and free. We're going to ask what isn't freedom, what is true freedom, and what does that freedom look like to be free indeed. But firstly, we are one and free. Now, if you're not up with all the news, that our national anthem, the line, young and free, they've just tried to change to we are one and free, but our emphasis here is on free. Are we free? Now, it wouldn't have been too many years back, Australia would colloquially called the lucky country, sometimes called the, the land of the free. Now, what did people mean when they said that? They kind of thought that Australia is a place where you're relatively unhindered to be what you want to be, do what you want to do, think what you want to think. Now, if we were to look at the concise English dictionary, its definition of freedom it would say, the power or right to act, speak or think freely. And not that many years back, people would have said that was true of Australia. For those who are visiting and think, man, this is going to be a big political sermon, I'm not going that direction at all. However, I want to suggest this to you. What most people think of when they hear the word freedom isn't actually freedom. And I think this is what causes a whole lot of inner frustration for people. They acquire what they believe to be freedom and then when they've got that, they're unsettled because 
they realise they're not free. So I'm going to put forward a different definition of freedom. It was one which was put forward by John Piper and I think it explains things quite nicely. He says, You are fully free when you have the desire, ability and opportunity to do what will make you happy in 10,000 years without any regrets. You're fully free when you have the desire, ability and opportunity to do what will make you happy in 10,000 years without any regrets. And I just want to unpack that for a moment. Firstly, to say why I think it's a better definition than just being free to do whatever you want, but also how it exposes other concepts of freedom as being false. Because it kind of says that genuine freedom consists of four essential elements. The desire, the ability, the opportunity, and all done without any sense of regret. Now, desire is an important one, and they're all equally important. You, have, you miss one of these things and you don't have freedom. If you desire something but you've got no ability or opportunity to carry out that desire, then you'd say, you're not free. If you have the ability, sorry, when it comes to the ability, if you've got the desire, but you're unable to carry it out, well, then that's not freedom either. Regarding opportunity, if you have the desire and the ability but you've got no opportunity to practice that, you are not free. And lastly, with regards to regret, if the outcome of your so-called freedom has any degree of regret, or if the outcome of your so-called freedom leads to destruction, that is not freedom. You lack any of these four essential ingredients and you are not free indeed. Now just for a moment I'm going to stick with Johnny Piper with an illustration then we'll move on from Johnny Piper. Because I think it illustrates it well. He was talking about skydiving. Now those people who know me know that I hate heights so skydiving is not something I'm likely to be doing. But let's see how this thing, which for some people it's, they consider it the ultimate freedom, exhilaration, this free-falling out of a plane, how to apply these all four elements to this scenario. Imagine if I had the ability, and I've got the ability, and I've got the opportunity. I could book myself into a skydiving place, but I can assure you I have zero desire to jump out of that plane. They open that door, I'll be clinging on to whatever I can cling on to. And if they've got to push me out of it, you probably wouldn't say you did that freely. Well, let's pretend, and we will need to pretend for go this one, pretend I had the desire. But on the way, I'd made my booking for a particular time, my car breaks down, I can't get there on time, can't do the training, can't do any of it. I don't have the opportunity to do it. 
Or what if I arrive on time? Or arrive at the place before the actual time when the plane takes off, but I've missed all of the training. I haven't got a clue about how to put my pack on, what to do with a parachute. I've got no ability, which means that for their insurance, they're not going to let me jump out. They're not going to give me an opportunity either. If you'd like some ice cream, just feel free to pop out the side there. But what if it all just came together? I had the desire, had the ability, and I had the opportunity. I get up in the plane, they open the doors, and out I jump. How good is that? Winner, winner, chicken dinner. But the moment you jump out of that plane, you are 100% dependent upon that parachute. No matter, matter of amount of desire, ability or opportunity counts for nothing if your parachute fails. If your parachute fails, you just come crashing down to earth to destruction. To depend on anything else other than Jesus is a faulty parachute. It will send you towards guaranteed eternal destruction in hell. You might feel free. Totally unhindered. I can do whatever I want. Might have full ability to carry it out, full opportunity. But freedom is not about being unhindered to do everything you feel like doing. Recall when Jesus said to the people who were gathered around him, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. These people he spoke to, they thought they were free. They're like, how can you say we are not free? I think the majority of people who are not placing their trust in Jesus are convinced they're free. You asked me when my teenage years, was I free? I would have said, definitely. You're the one who's in slavery. You with all your christian rules. However, the mantra of I am free, nobody tells me what to do, which is effectively the mantra I used to live by. When you say freedom is I'm free to do whatever I want, you say what governs my life is my desires of what I want to do. Rather than a declaration of my freedom, it is declaring my slavery to my own desires. How did Jesus respond in verse 34 to those who thought they were free? He said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Now, sin is often a misunderstood word. People hear the word sin and they think, Oh, it's just certain bad things that you do. It's more of an attitude and the the bad things you do are sort of an outworking of that attitude. In fact, you could go through the entirety of your life having done nothing that the world around you considers to be bad and still be a sinner. It's an attitude that says, I live for nobody but me. Now, In and of itself, that sounds selfish, but that's not the full extent of the offence of it. 
by saying, I live for nobody but me, nobody else matters, is a rejection of the God who made you, who provided you with your life and every single thing that you enjoy, who has given you all these good things. It's almost like you say to him, of course you should give me all these things. I deserve it. But even though my very existence and everything that I love in this life, I have because of your gracious goodness towards me, I don't care, I don't want anything to do with you. Imagine how that would fare if, a, if your child said that to their parents. It wouldn't fare too well and your parents aren't even perfect. So in verse 34, Jesus says, the reason why you do sinful things is you are a slave to it. If you live by the mantra, I do whatever pleases me, I do whatever I think is right, you are a slave to your desires. You are captive to your desires. Desires which, ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, are corrupted desires that you cannot trust. The one who made you, the one who has all power and authority has declared all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No exceptions. The person that you grew up with who just was the teacher's pet, did all the right things, is in part of that all who have sinned. We are not born free, not born sinless, We are born trusting in a faulty parachute until such point we turn from our sin, place our trust in Jesus who died on the cross to bear the punishment for our sin and if the Son set you free, you are free indeed. So what are some of these faulty parachutes that some people look to for freedom? I probably should have extended the reading that we had Because the very verse before verse 31 where our reading began, it says, many believed in Jesus. And then the very next verse where we started our reading says, to those who believed in Jesus, this is what Jesus said. To those who thought they believed in Jesus, Jesus now spells out what it looks like to believe and be a disciple, be a follower of Jesus. And the very fact that he is offering them freedom through truth suggests that he, of the inclination that these people have found neither truth nor freedom. Now you could say, but they were so in such close proximity to Jesus. They were in close proximity to other believers. That's the first thing that isn't freedom. Just merely being associated with Jesus being merely associated with genuine believers doesn't make you one. Turning up to church does not make you a child of God. Does not make you free indeed. Being baptised, being a member of a church, serving a ministry does not make you one whom the Son has set you free. Remember it says, if the Son sets you free... You are free indeed. 
Not if a person or a particular act you do sets you free, if the Son sets you free. We are dependent upon what he has done on our behalf, not what we can do for him. It would be foolish to trust in religious activity. It would be foolish to trust that because Nan went to church or because we went to church growing up or we did the Christmas and Easter thing that somehow I have been set free by Jesus. Remember who Jesus is speaking to? He is speaking to Jews who said, we're descendants of Abraham. They quite openly responded to Jesus' claim that they could be free, saying, what do you mean? We are free. Why would you tell us? Your family heritage or your religious practice are not what will set you free. Secondly, feeling free doesn't mean that you are free. Your feelings are not overly reliable. Most of you have probably figured that out at some point in time. If you asked me when I was 18 years old, am I free? I would have expounded for hours how free I was and how enslaved you were, most likely I probably would have said, in probably in rather unpleasant ways. Saying you feel free is kind of like saying when you go out one night you feel safe. You might feel safe. It doesn't guarantee that you are. Feeling free is nothing more than, what I say, a feeling. And if your definition of freedom is free to do whatever I want, you are not free. You're just announcing that you are a slave to your own feelings and desires before a God whom you must give an account. And if all are sinners, therefore all are slaves to sin, then what we call true freedom must speak of how our slavery to sin is dealt with. We need to listen to Jesus. He was speaking to a people who were very moral. They probably lived a good life, they had good religious practices. They insisted they were free. But what Jesus said to them is that everyone who sins hasn't just made a few mistakes, but is by nature a slave to sin. One thing that can be said about slaves is slaves cannot set themselves free. The only person who can set a slave free within the household is someone who has authority in that household. Even though all have sinned, according to Romans 3.23, so also all sinners can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ because he has the right and he has done everything to set you free indeed. When we repent of our sin, turn from our sin, place our trust in Jesus and his completed work and we abide and remain in him. He takes your sin He places his spirit within you. He makes you a new creation that you are no longer enslaved to your sin. doesn't mean that you won't ever sin ever again, but you are not enslaved. You're not in such a position where you cannot help but sin all the time. 
But Paul says to the Romans in chapter 6, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. Now when you read that, I can understand a very good objection you might say, well that's just going from slave from one thing to another. He says you were slaves of sin and now you're slaves of righteousness. How can you say that second one is free and the first one isn't? Well, Jesus has already indicated in verse 31 that true disciples are those who remain in him in his truth. There is obedience, there is being linked with his truth. I don't see how you can call it slavery to be committed to or or confined to that which is perfectly true and good. Well, let's test that claim even by the four essential elements. The desire. Well, according to Galatians chapter 5, the Holy Spirit placed within us gives us the desire that we need to carry out the things that we're called to do. What about ability? God grants us the ability to live as a freed people. Paul says to the Philippians, for it is God who works in you both to will, that is, to form the desire, and to work the ability for his good pleasure. Opportunity, every moment is an opportunity to express your desire and your ability in obedience and love and praise for Jesus. And lastly, is there regrets? Does it lead to distraction? No regrets. Guaranteed saved from distraction. Never once have I or any other Christian regretted trusting Jesus. Now I need to clarify that a little bit. That doesn't mean that every single Christian has found it easy to trust Jesus in every single moment. It doesn't mean that their life has never had any hardships or difficulties in it. Yes, it is hard. But he, his character, all that he does is good. Trusting him, surrendering our life to his will is always for my benefit and for his glory. When you place your trust in Jesus, you are set free from corruption and you become who you are made to be in relationship with him. In Christ alone, you can be free indeed. So what is this freedom? We are talking about the most comprehensive, most complete freedom and the only true freedom that's on offer. Jesus has already said everybody who sins, and the rest of the Bible says all sin, is a slave to sin. There is no freedom unless the problem of our sin is dealt with. That's why Jesus came into this world to lay down his life to be a substitute on behalf of guilty mankind that all would place their trust in him, receive forgiveness of sins, eternal life would be set free. But in Christ, your freedom is so much more than just being set free from your slavery to sin. You are free to be who you were created to be. In relationship with him, 
Paul says in Romans 8.1, whoever is in Christ will not be condemned. You are free from condemnation. You are free from the fear of death. So alongside Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, you can say, oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? You are set free from the fear of man. No longer do you need to please people and their fickle desires. You live with one master, the Lord Jesus Christ, who you want him to be pleased with all that you do. You are set free from legalism. Now, sometimes you might remember when you first came to Christ, you remember how freeing it felt, then you got amongst other Christians thought, I don't feel very free amongst them at all. We've all encountered some Christians who make up their own sort of legalistic rules. By legalistic, I mean things that the Bible does not articulate that someone has kind of almost declared to the, to the rate as being a, a command of God and expects you to uphold that. You are free to, to serve God in faithful obedience. But you're also free that you do not need to serve people around you's personal convictions on peripheral issues which the Bible does not speak about. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. In every respect, you are free to express your desire, God-given desires as being a new creation. You are free in the extent that God is who works in you, both to will and to work that which is pleasing in his sight. You're free that every moment is given as an opportunity for you. And you are free knowing that you, in the end, will not be headed towards destruction. This is all who have believed in me. I will not cast out, but will raise on the last day. And we will never have a regret placing our trust in Jesus. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, We thank you not only for the freedom that you have bought for us in our initial salvation, but Lord, your freedom extends so much further than just dealing with the problem of our sin. We thank you, and alongside Paul, it says, for freedom Christ has set you free, but also that we should not use that as an excuse to fuel the desires of the flesh. Lord, help us to enjoy the wonderful privileges you have given us in Christ and the wonderful freedom to know all of your goodness expressed in all of your truth. As Jesus said, he is the truth. He is the one who is full of grace and truth. May we know the truth as expressed in Jesus and in your word. May we know the freedom that it has secured for us and may we live lives of freedom as you have designed us to be. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.